I hope you all had a great Easter. I know we did. Uh, I think it was funny. We uh, we ended up doing 500 eggs at the egg extravaganza um, on Saturday. We had a ton of kids, over 100 kids, and it was a blast. And then we ended up going to my in-laws' house, and we had almost about the same amount of eggs for like six kids. No, five kids. I was one of the kids, but I hit them, so, you know. Anyway, and Josh and I actually hid some, and we couldn't even remember where we hid them, so there's probably more out there. In fact, there was one egg that had a dollar in it, and the kids couldn't find it. And so I told them, anybody finds it, you get ten bucks. But nobody found it, so. Anyway. Hey, thanks for coming again. We are in, actually, the last um, of the sermon series, the last aspect of the book of Philippians. In the last eight weeks, I believe it's been, eight Nine weeks? I don't know. I've lost count. Um, We've been in our sermon series called Stuck in the Moment. And um, we've just been looking at all the different moments that can get us stuck. Uh, And the Apostle Paul, of all the books that he writes, this is the one where we see in the biggest possibility of being stuck, this is his circumstance. I mean, you talk about being stuck, he's in prison. He's got... Not only that, with the problems, he's got the people. He's got people talking about him and speaking against him. And he's just got issue after issue. And he refuses to let that keep him stuck. He's free. And he gives us, in the book of Philippians, that ability to have joy and be free from those moments that we all experience every week, every day. And we looked at a bunch of different ones. And today we've got the last one that we're going to see in in, in Philippians chapter 4, which I believe is really super important. But before I say that, I'm going to give a plug for next week. We're starting a new sermon series, and it's, um, Can I Ask That? It's eight different topics that are pretty hot-button topics in the world today. Um, And we want to have our church, or the church, be a safe place where we can ask tough questions. Because I don't know if you know this, but God's not afraid of tough questions. I think we, we are sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that question from your kids? Or a question from somebody and you're just like, and it's almost a little uneasy. That's okay. This should be a safe place that we can become uneasy in so that God can minister to us in those tough questions. So we're going to have eight of those and we're going to be talking about those. Um, and So next week's actually about the Bible. Can we actually trust the Bible? Um, I think that's a good place to start. So anyway, but that's a plug for shameless plug for next week. Um, But the last area that we want to talk about today in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, uh, Paul really assaults that concept of discontentment, being discontent. And he really shows us what it means to be content in our circumstances. So let me just give you something really, I found this interesting. It's human nature to look for contentment, right? We even have little sayings, the grass is greener on the other side. We're always looking for that little bit of contentment. To wish for better circumstances, more affluence, an easier life. We even think sometimes, if I only had a better job, a nicer house, a newer car, I would be content. Seems logical, right? Well, according to this logic, people in the United States should be among the most content people on earth. We enjoy greater wealth per capita than most countries. We have more opportunity for education, medical care, home ownership, car ownership, food, availability, I mean, freedoms, you you name it. But a 2012 Gallup poll ranked the United States 33rd in the world on a contentment scale. The truth is that having more 
just doesn't increase our contentment. In fact, seven of the top ten countries were in Latin America, which generally, generally ranks low on the typical economic indicators we might associate with contentment. So civil war, to get this, civil war-torn Guatemala. Okay, Guatemala is a great place, but when you go there, you got to watch out. You know, you got the guys with M16s and whatnot. So they have a civil war going on, which ranks just above Iraq in the United Nations Human Development Index, is the seventh highest in the world in terms of contentment. Kind of interesting. Despite escalating gang violence that produces one of the world's highest homicide rates and cripples the economy, Guatemalans in general are more content than we are. And yet, we still look at it this way. If I, if I just had more, I'd be content. If I just got married, I'd be content. If I just... I don't mean to step on toes. Maybe there's married people here. If I just was single, I'd be content. I don't... <laughs> I don't say that. I would never say that. Been married 16 years and I love it. Love my wife. But 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 isn't that the truth? I mean, it's the idea of contentment is this moving target, and I don't think we're ever going to get it if we're looking at the stuff or our circumstances that need to change to get it. And so Paul, in this last part of Philippians, is really going to show us what contentment really is and how to really be free from that discontent. If I were to put it in a really simple statement, and this is just the take-home truth of the day, contentment comes when we stay on the tracks that Christ lays down for us. Contentment stays or comes when we stay on the tracks that Christ lays down for us. Okay, so let's get into the, the, the book of Philippians, all right? So everybody, if you can stand on up, I'd appreciate it for the reading of God's Word. We take God's Word seriously here. And if you can't stand, that's understandable. I'm not going to strike you down or anything. I can't do that. You don't have to stand, but we ask that you do. All right, Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. The Apostle Paul is closing up his letter here, and he says, I greatly, or rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be, aha, content, whatever the circumstances. I know that it, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance or situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only." See, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God, by the way, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father... Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now greet all the peoples in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Okay, there's a lot going on here. And really simply, we have to understand that the book of Philippians is just a letter. 
I mean, it's a letter from Paul, and really it's a thank you letter. You ever written a, a thank you note? I mean, Paul is basically saying thank you, and we come to the crux of what he's saying. Now, Paul, when he writes a letter, he never gives, lets go of an opportunity to teach as well. He's always teaching, which is great. And that's we appreciate that because we have New Testament. He didn't know he was reading, uh, writing Bible. We know that now, but I'm sure he didn't. I mean, he's just writing a thank you letter. And he writes this beautiful thank you letter where he says, Hey, by the way, remember when I was in need? You gave to me. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And so, because they provided. Again, he was in a cell. And in the ancient world, the only way you ate... The only way you got a, a sheet for yourself if you were sleeping and it was cold, which it was where he's at, was if somebody brought it to you. I think they might provide water. That was about it. So if you wanted to eat, you had to have money to pay for food. And he's chained to a guard, remember, 18 inches from him, 24 hours a day. See, Paul is writing this and he's hindered and hampered from anything that he was used to. The Apostle Paul was a go-getter, man. I mean, if you guys just read the book of Acts, Paul's here, he's there, he's going on these journeys. He was the missionary to the Gentiles. He was the missionary. Anybody here, a a full-blown Jewish person? If you're not, Paul is your missionary. (laughs) He came to us. And he was out and about doing all this, but he was stopped and put in prison. And there he is sitting there in prison 24 hours a day. I mean, they're not giving him walks. You know, he's sitting there chained 18 inches to a guard. You talk about a different set of circumstances. And yet, he teaches us something about contentment that I think we can learn. The first thing I would say, if you guys are taking notes, the first aspect I would say about contentment is contentment is learned in every circumstance. I mean, look what he says in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need. Now he's talking about their gifts. Hey, by the way, thanks for the gifts. You don't need to give me more gifts. But I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. See, he's giving us this simple aspect that contentment is learned in every circumstance. Again, Paul is waiting before uh, to meet Nero. Nero, it's interesting, my, my kids right now are, uh, my sixth grade son, he's, he's doing Christianity and, and, and learning about Rome and all that, and he's learning about Nero right now, and Nero was blamed for the fire of Rome because he was cuckoo, and, and they say he, he blamed it on the Christians, you know, which is an interesting little bit of history. Um, but the truth is, Nero was nuts. And if you know from your history, they had a wood shortage in Rome at that time. And it wasn't because they were building a ton of houses. It's because they were building tons and tons of crosses that they were putting the Christians on. They would dip them in wax, and then they would put them on these crosses, and it lined, the crosses would line Nero's uh, driveway, his chariot way, whatever you want to call it, up to his summer house where hundreds and hundreds of Christians on crosses were dipped in wax and then they would light them on fire so his guests could see to get to his home at night. Isn't that lovely? Paul knows this. Paul knows this. You see, when you're about to go before the judge, one of the things that you do is go, I hope I have a good judge, (laughs) right? I hope my judge is kind. I hope my judge hears me. He's going before Nero, knowing these truths about Nero. Do you think he's in a bad circumstance? Oh, yeah. And yet, he uses this word learn. It's, it's, it's an interesting word in the Greek. In the, it, it's a verb that's used a lot of times in the New Testament for understanding about how we are discipled, what discipleship means. Literally, following Christ. 
how God is leading and teaching us to follow and trust him. So he says the same thing about his circumstances. It's like, wait, God, no, no, Paul, God is teaching us. Yet he says, but yeah, but, but God's teaching you through your circumstances. See, Paul is saying a simple and yet profound truth that God disciples us in our daily circumstances, good ones and bad ones. See, when God wants us to learn patience, like he wanted to teach me patience when I was 21 years old and first married, he, he, he told my wife that she was pregnant. And then six months after we got married, we were pregnant. Three years, we had four kids. I had four kids in three years. 24 years old, four kids. You think I know patience now? Oh, you're darn tootin'. See, a part of me, though, wants to go, God, couldn't you just gone, like, to my head, like, like the, the, you know, Michelangelo's David and, 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 or Adam and God, right, where they touch like that? Could you just come to my head and just touch it? And all of, I'd learn patience. You know, touch my heart, help me to... No, I learned it through having four kids. Three teenage girls now. It may be a tough situation at work that takes a ton of patience to get through, or maybe you're getting more traffic on your daily route. Do you think God wants to teach you patience? See, when God wants us to learn love, maybe He's allowing people into your life that are really hard to love. See, when He wants us to learn trust, maybe the economy falls and the bottom falls out of it. Or your job that was so secure is not secure anymore. See, we want to fix these circumstances, but the truth is, God is doing something in these circumstances where we can learn Really learn. Every circumstance, again, if you're taking notes, is a chance for you and me to follow Jesus and learn contentment. Every circumstance is a chance for you and me to follow Jesus and learn contentment. But see, the problem is we need to unlearn that idea that the world has taught us since day one. When we cry, we get fed. Right? The truth is, we continually think the more we get, the more we'll be content. We call it keeping up with the Joneses or the American dream. I mean, the more that I can get, the better that I can succeed, the more I can have, then I will be content. But that's, by the way, that's not a new concept. I love stories of old saints because they just, sometimes we need a little of that old-timey wisdom. Here's some old-timey wisdom in the 5th century. There was a 5th century man named Arrhenius. He was determined to live a holy life, so he abandoned the conforms of Egyptian society to follow an austere lifestyle in the middle of the barren desert. Yet whenever he visited the great city of Alexandria, he spent time wandering through its bazaars and looking at all the stuff. One time someone asked him why he did this, and he explained that his heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things he didn't need you see where he's come from? He didn't need those things. Those of us who live in a society flooded with goods and gadgets need to ponder the example of the desert dweller Arrhenius. See, a typical supermarket, and I didn't know this, but in 1976, a typical supermarket had um, 9,000 pieces in it. Things, articles, right? Stuff. Today, it carries over 30,000. How did they live in 1976? That's what I thought when I read this. Come on. You ever stood in the, in the, in the cereal aisle and just went, what? You know, I mean, it's, and then they still don't have what you want, right? One of the reasons we don't have cable TV, we got rid of it a long time ago, because there'd be like a thousand channels, you know what I'm talking about? And you're sitting there, and I remember, I remember when my daughter was first born, she's, gonna, she's 15 now, but 
We still had cable at that time. And I'd have her in my arms. I'd sit with her. You know, it was late at night or something. So I'd turn on cable. And I would sit there for hours. And I wouldn't really watch one thing. I just kept flipping through the channels to find the right thing. Anybody been there? Yeah. You see, the more we have doesn't mean the more content we are. In fact, it's almost like the more stressed out we can be, the more discontent we can be. I, I like to look at this as a battle of prepositions. See, the difference a preposition can make, and I hope I'm using that right. I'm not an English person, and so Paul, where are you? Uh, you'll, you'll tell me if I was right or not. But learning contentment is the difference between on and in. If you're taking notes, it's the difference between on and in. See, if our contentment is based on our circumstances or on our stuff, then you are setting yourself up for discontentment. Again, I've said it, if I get that job. Well, what happens when you do and you realize, oh my gosh, it's not exactly the most perfect thing and I'm not exactly 100% content. Or you don't get that job and then you're left still. Or if I get married, then you realize afterwards, man, this is not as easy or the nirvana that I thought it would be. Or what happens if you don't get married? Are you going to continue to be discontent? If I just had more money... See, if our contentment is based on our circumstances or on our stuff, then contentment will always be out of your grasp. This is why Paul says, I can do all things or all this through him who gives me strength. See, an interesting thing here, this is how we translate it, but the, the real translation of this in the Greek and how we can really put it is, I can do all things in Christ. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. This is crucial. See, contentment is not based on our circumstances or our stuff, but being in Christ. See, what it comes down to is, do you, do you want the gifts more than the giver? See, what, what it comes down to is, are you more in love with creation than the creator? In, in, in the providence or the provider? This is the difference between on and in. I like getting good gifts. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and I'm pretty content on a wave runner. It's fun. But if that's what our contentment is solely based on, it'll fade. And so Paul, very much so, sitting from a cell, says your contentment needs to be based in Christ, not on circumstances. I can do all things in Christ. By the way, I learned this truth. When I first came to this church... And God used it in my circumstances. I just wasn't learning all the time. When I first came to this church, I came from, um, a, 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 I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I had a bigger youth group on Tuesday night than I did in the church that I came to with people. And, and I came here, and I had all these ideas. I had all these grandiose ideas, and I've actually told my, my, um, my old pastor that I used to, he's not old, it's just he was my old pastor. Anyway, so um, I, I, I told him about this. I said, man, there's some things I thought, I'm going to do so much better. I'm going to do, you know, I, I agree with you here, but I don't agree with you here. And when I get there, I'm going to, oh, man, I'm going to, woo, we're going to have two, three services in a year. We're going to have hundreds of people. I mean, we're going to have Christian yoga classes. I don't know, I'm just making stuff up. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to have all this stuff happening. It's going to be awesome. Boy, was my contentment based on the circumstances. And it was like, and I just remembered the words of my church planning coach who says, you know what, God's not so much with a pastor. He's not so much about concerned what you're doing in the church. He's concerned about what you, you 
are doing. And he, he wants to grow you, Chris. And I'm going, oh, darn it. Because <laughs> I had so many ideas and they just don't work. <laughs> it's almost like in my circumstance, God has something. And he's teaching me the difference. And, and, and if I'm just content in him, as opposed to on my stuff, or the things that happen or don't happen, God's going to do something. I, see, I, I used to change this you know, verse around. I can do this through Christ. Christ will give me the strength to do what I want to do. No. You see, if we were to translate this the correct way, what Paul is really saying is, I can do prison through Him who gives me strength. I was saying, I, now I can do church planting through Him who gives me strength. How about I can do unemployment through him who gives me strength? Or I can do singleness through him who gives me strength. I can do death of a loved one through him who gives me strength. I can do cancer through him who gives me strength. Do you get this? We need to get this. We need the giver in Christ. This is the point. Maybe you're dreading the amount of work that is piling up at the office and you love what you do, but let's be honest, it feels like you're drowning with the amount of work. Some of our friends who are CPAs kind of felt that in the last month or so. (laughs) What could you learn realizing that this circumstance is filtered through the loving hands of Jesus who you are in? How about the circumstance of a child or grandchild that is just all-consuming, maybe your mental health and your emotional health and discontentment is just there and you feel it and every time you wake up and you think about it, it's like, oh my gosh. What is God teaching you in this circumstance? Maybe it's the lack of control and anxiety you have over the circumstances of your health or your loved one's health. Even in this, God is leading you teaching you, guiding you to see Jesus in this. Again, we come to this aspect and this take-home truth. Contentment comes when we follow Jesus' tracks and stop wandering away from ours. I love trains. I've ridden on them once. I wish I could ride on it more. You know, I think trains are pretty cool because they go, man. Some trains, they can pull. They just pull, pull, pull. You ever tried to see it? Are you ever seen a train drive off the tracks? Doesn't really go too far, does it? We we've tried to fix that, by the way, because God has tracks that He's laid out for us. But you know what we do? We lay down our own track right in front of the t- train. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like life is laying down track before the before you derail? Because contentment is just one more track way away. I'm gonna lay it down. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there, and it's tiring, isn't it? It's tiring. See, and Paul is saying, I'm tired of laying down my own tracks. I'm tired of saying, this is where I'm going to go. God, come on, come with me. Here, God. We do that, don't we? I've been there. God, I'm going to do this. You just come and follow me. Now, you bless me. I can do all things, my things, that you give me strength to... Oh, it's the... I be in you? Okay. Follow his tracks. What circumstance... Is God putting in your life where you need to learn contentment? What does God want for me here, not what do I want here? To follow the tracks that He has laid down for you and me. So, how do we do this? 
It's got to get simple, right? We've got to be applicable. How do we apply this principle to our life? Two things I want to point you to that Paul really sets up here in the scripture. First and foremost, want what you already have in Christ. It's that simple. Want what you already have in Christ. Contentment is never getting what you want, but it is in what you already have in Christ. See, this is as simple as thanking God for what you have right now. Seeking what you have right now in Christ. I know this is hard. Because some of you have really tough circumstances. But either God is in control or he's not. Either God is God or he's not. Either God knows that you're dealing with A, B, and C or he doesn't. I like to choose from what scripture says that God is truly in control. That God truly knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He takes care of the sparrows. He will take care of you. He has you. But do you really believe that? Because if you do, you will start wanting what you already have. What would it look like to want what you already have in Christ? Well, maybe, let's start here. What would it mean to actually spend your day thanking God for the traffic instead of fuming and complaining about it? I love to complain about traffic. I am really good. I should get a web podcast where all I do is complain about things because I'm really good at complaining. But maybe God has you in that traffic to actually see that now you have time sitting in traffic where you can pray and listen to His Word that you normally wouldn't have before. Maybe He's got you in that traffic and you're passing by people that you, oh, I, I know that, that's black-haired guy and th- there's, there's the lady I always see going by. You know, maybe there's something, and you, I'm going to start praying for those people. See, wanting what you already have means learning from the circumstances you're already in. That Christ is even in traffic. How about to wake up tomorrow morning and actually spend some time before anything else thanking God for the job that you can't stand? And not only thanking Him, but actually getting to your desk and arriving on the job site early and still thanking God for what you have and actually start working like it's something you want. You talk to your boss and let him know that you're so thankful to have this job. Even when we're deep down inside, you're like, I want to put in a resume to anything else. Is McDonald's hiring? Because I can't stand this. But maybe God has you there for a reason. And your coworkers see something new in you that they didn't see before, and you're actually starting to see God move even in that job. How about thanking God for the conflict at work with that person that drives you crazy? Or that person that you live next to as a neighbor. And instead of trying to lay your own tracks away from the situation or towards the water cooler where you can complain about that person, maybe you allow Jesus to be the one that lays the tracks and you follow that in that circumstance to that individual, praying for that individual, seeking ways to love them and bless them. Because maybe he meant it when he says, you know, those that you can't stand, love on them. Bless them. Wanting what you have is the first step of attaining real contentment. Lastly, the second and last step is give what you already own in Christ. Want what you already have in Christ, now give what you already own in Christ. This is exactly what Paul talks about in the book of Philippians. I love this. He says, yet it was good for you, in verse 14, to share my, in my troubles. 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica. See, we don't really get this stuff because we don't really, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you, I couldn't look at a map and say, oh, there's Thessalonica. I had to study it, you know. I mean, it's not, this isn't like, hey, when I was in Yukaipa and you were over in Loma Linda. You know what I mean? We don't get this stuff really, right? But the truth is, these are real people, real places, in a real time. And he's like, remember when I had nothing? And you guys couldn't find me for a while? And then you found me? And then you sent somebody? And you, he gave me something? And I needed that? Awesome! Oh, and by the way, I was in Thessalonica, which is like Beverly Hills. See, Thessalonica in that time was like Beverly Hills. They had tons of money. And he's starting a church there. And yet, in Beverly Hills, they were poor. <laughs> Nobody was giving anything. Nobody was giving anything. So 800 miles away, in Philippi... You have the poor Philippians, literally poor people. I mean, we're talking like the ghetto. And they're sending money to Paul, single-handedly funding the New Testament church. And they're poor. It's almost like he's thanking them for giving what they already had. See, they refuse to be stuck in the, well, I don't have that much money. I don't have that much time. I don't have that much time. No, I have this much money. I have this much time. What can I use this for? For the, for the living Christ who is in me. See, if you have money, then give from what God has supplied. If you have time on a Saturday, serve the poor and give from your time. If, if you had encouragement, if you're an encourager, then go encourage somebody. This is what Paul is saying. I mean, what would it look like to give what you already own in Christ? What if you were to give a day to your older neighbor who can't get around as easily as you can? You already own a day off, and we're planning on doing that dreaded yard work anyway in your own yard, right? Why not take the extra couple of hours instead of sitting in front of sports center, you know, or, or, or reading that book you really wanted to get to, and go over to your neighbor's house and mow her lawn that she can't do? In fact, maybe you could set up something where you do it once a week and she doesn't have to pay that $25 to a gardener to do it. That's probably, I'm probably undercutting gardeners. Everyone's like, hey! I don't know, maybe $50? $120! I don't know. But the point is, maybe you take that away from And she now has money to pay for her medications. She's only getting three out of four. And she really needs that fourth medication, but she can't afford it because her yard is just dying. And, you, I mean, what do you, and we just sit there. Give what you already own. You have some of that time. Give it. What if you were to give a humble, soft, and pleasant response to all those people at the hospital? It's not fun being at the hospital. And some of you have been there a lot more than others. And by the way, I'll just tell you a secret. Younger people, you will be there and you'll end up there. That's where we end up. Everybody's dying. And I'll tell you what's simple and what's true is most people in the hospital don't want to be there. And I'll tell you, when, when, when workers come in, any nurse will tell you, it's rare to find somebody that has a smile on their face and loves people, even in that situation, even in that circumstance, like Jesus. And that does something to them. That speaks volumes of Christ's love. When you're not complaining and instead you're blessing people that are missing your vein, <laughs> Right? I've tried this in simple ways, by the way. You just go in and people, your food is late and they feel awful in, at, a, at a place. You know, when you're sitting there in fast food and it's supposed to be fast food, it's supposed to be, tw you know, two minutes and it's taking 20 minutes. What the heck's going on? And it's easy for me to get all angry, and all this, but instead I go, okay, God, you've got me in this situation for a reason. How can I bless these people? 
Okay, Lord, I'm going to give what I already own. Encouragement. Love. Thank you for working so hard. Thank you for doing that. Whoa, they don't get that. They just hear everybody screaming at them. Because Starbucks, it's supposed to be quick. And darn you, barista, something's wrong with you. No, I bless them. Telemarketers love me, and it's not because I love them. It's because I love Jesus. I usually go into detail about how much I need to, hey, and I'm on the phone, and I'm so angry, and I want to, but you know what I do? I say, okay, I know this isn't your fault, and can I just bless you? I want to bless you by being kind, even though I'm really angry right now, because I know it's not your fault. And I, you know, that's what we can give. What if you were to give acts of service in your home instead of taking more time to do what you want, give your time to do the dishes, organize the closet for your sibling? Brothers and sisters, you have people, kids, when kids do this, and yes, I'm talking to you teenagers, we leave you in here for a reason. What if you were to do the dishes and you're not even asked? And do those things that you're not asked to do, but you have that time and you get off that device or you get off and you do it because you already have it. Can I just say that this stuff, by the way, is impossible unless you are in Christ? Please know, if you don't have that start of that faith journey with Jesus, if you haven't actually said, Lord, I need you in my life, I want to walk with you, then you're not going to get this kind of eternal contentment. You're going to struggle. But can I say it's as easy as coming to Jesus right now? And see, I love this because Paul makes a promise. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Don't miss the promise here. When you're in Christ, Christ will give you what you need. Not what you want. We have to understand that. But what you need. See, in the prison moments, He will supply you with His peace. In the valley of the shadow of death, He will guide your every step. In the midst of the circumstances, you will see God. And this is what Paul talks about. See, we just look at it as some random you know, wrap-up to his letter. Oh, God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, every single one of you, if you were getting this letter from back then, should have went... <gasps> so we're going to try that one more time. Here you go. You guys got to suck wind. I want, the, I want the toupee on my head to come off, all right? All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. There you go. There you go. See, the household in that day didn't just mean brother, sister, grandma, great-grandma. That was servants, wine-bearers, guards. The Praetorian guard was related to Caesar and they're chained to Paul. Or can I say, Paul? not just Paul's chained to them, I already just said it, sorry, I'm really... But they're chained to Paul. And Paul is, laying, is taking the tracks down where Jesus is going. He's, instead of taking that time and, and, and grumbling about being in prison, he's sharing his faith with each of these guards. Nero is dipping Christians in wax and the gal next to him serving him his wine is probably a Christian now because of what Paul is doing in prison. Paul literally starts a revolution and the people would have heard that and went, what? Even people in Caesar's household are followers of Jesus now? That's insane, Paul. You mean God had a point for you being in prison? Yes. Now you get it. You mean it's not about you being out of prison that makes you content? Yes. It's just being in Christ in prison. It's being in Christ struggling through addiction. It's being in Christ struggling with your family. It's being in Christ in that job. It's being in Christ in all those circumstances. You're like, God, why me? No. Where am I, he wants us to say. I want to tell you a tragic story very quickly and we're done. 
But this is a tragic story of a man who knew discontentment all too well. Ali Hafed owned a very large farm that had orchards and green fe- grain fields and gardens and was a pretty wealthy agricultural man way back when. And he was content. But one day a wise man from the east told the farmer all about this new thing called diamonds and how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. Well, Ali Hafed went to bed that night a poor man poor because he was full of discontentment. Craving a mine of diamonds, he sold his farm to search for these rare stones. He traveled the world over, finally becoming so poor, broken and defeated that he committed suicide. One day, the man who purchased Ali Hafed's farm let his camel into the garden to drink. As his camel put his nose into the brook, The man saw a flash of light from the sands of the stream. He pulled out a stone that reflected all the hues of the rainbow. The man had discovered the diamond mine of Golconda, the most magnificent diamond mine in all of history. Had Ali Hafed remained at home, wanting what he already had, and dug in his own garden, then instead of death in a strange land, he would have had acres of diamonds to give from what he already owned. Brothers and sisters, don't miss. Don't miss out what God already has for you right now. Let's pray. Let's take this moment right now and I want you to do something revolutionary. Thank the Lord for what you already have. If you're single and that drives you crazy, thank the Lord for it. If you've got a struggle with kids, thank the Lord for it. Not in a sadistic way, but in a way that says, God, I know know this situation isn't right. I know this situation is tough, but you are teaching me in this circumstance. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And to start giving what you already own. Don't go wandering. Please. That's the road to discontentment. Follow the tracks that Jesus laid down for you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray that if there's if there's somebody here, any, any, any child of yours that doesn't know you, that hasn't started on those tracks, that doesn't really know that you love them so much, Jesus, and that you have a plan and a purpose for them, I pray that they would stick around and that they would seek you, Lord, we could pray for them and we can minister to them just by pointing them to you, the risen King. But God, I know that my brothers and sisters, I've talked with many of them here, Lord, that they've got situations, they've got circumstances. Lord, what are you trying to teach them? I pray right now that they would be amazed and awed the Philippians were when they heard about Caesar's household. We can have that same awesome response today from the prisons that we are chained to. Lord, help us not to wander away and run from and complain about, but Father, help us in your infinite wisdom, in your power, in the power of your Holy Spirit, the suffering servant Jesus, to see what you have for us now in the midst of the prison we sit in, in the valley of the shadow of death that we walk through. God, you are the King of Kings, and you have a plan and a purpose even in this. 
Lord, it would be remiss for me to say amen and walk away. Lord, if there are people that are here today that need prayer, that need help, I pray that they would stick around and we as a community could put our arms on them and speak your truth of love and peace into their life in the midst of these circumstances. And we, as it says in the book of Galatians, can be burden bearers. We love you and we thank you. Help us.